0: This is The Solid Podcast. I'm John Brunner, And I'm David Craner. Solid is about the new hardware movement, the radical new way that technology in the world around us is being conceived, built, and
1: connected. It's about design, electronics, software, networks, materials, and the horizons of technology, like synthetic biology. For more information on The Solid Conference,
0: visit solidcon.com.
1: Tobias Kennebrew is the strategist at Google Robotics. Until they were mysteriously beamed up by Google last year, He was a key player in a studio known as Bot & Dolly, a company which specialized in creating software interfaces to harness hardcore industrial-scale robotic arms to create installation art as well as beautifully expressive motion control for film and television shoots.
0: Some of their best-known work includes Box, a jaw-dropping technological magic show which is presented in video form, as well as award-winning special effects on the 2013 film Gravity,
1: starring Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Although details are tantalizingly scant on what Batendali has been up to since joining Google, Tobias was kind enough to drop by to talk about using robots as paintbrushes.
0: So you guys at Batendali are really known for creating absolutely beautiful robotics. I mean, very, like, very, very muscular, very powerful expressions of robotics, but also um, they're just spectacular and they, and they speak to the public in a way that a lot of robotics don't. They're very artistic. How do you, how does, how does that kind of work differ from the more traditional kind of robotics as like a, a hardcore engineer doing, you know, equations in a, in a basement at some industrial firm?
2: Well, it's, it's really different. <laughs> um, and at the same time, it's, it's part of, it's part of the same equation. I think, um, uh, the, the kinds of things that we've done by, um, building interfaces between, Um, what I think of as normal humans, um, as opposed to roboticists uh, and enabling them to um, build beautiful things, put robotics to work in, in ways um, that bring ideas to life. Um, Yeah, that is different than what goes on inside of a a robotics engineering space, but um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's dependent. Um, none mm-hmm. of that would be possible if we weren't also making robots to build cars. Yeah, yeah, And in making robots to build cars, we're building machines that can operate with the kind of um, precision and repeatability. And to your point, like all of this in incredible industrial muscle Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know the repurposing of that by us over into the creative space um, you know I think it's just you know one thing that we see is the offshoot of uh, sort of the the origin of the robotics um, industry because you have lots of hard problems being solved to make um, some some um, industrial automation problem-solvable, well, um, and then you have applications um, that the people that engineered those machines never thought of, mm-hmm. um, moving walls in uh, architecture and creating beautiful experiential artwork and integrating robotics with dance programs and that's you know i think that's the exciting part of building technologies that are coming from a place where they're purpose-driven but Mm -hmm. you you see the world adopt them and extend them in all sorts of unexpected ways
0: How, how much do you have to know about the the basics the primitives the you know the first principles of robotics to do something beautiful with it
2: well, that's um, <laughs> that, that's a really relevant question because the our story with robotics at at Bot & Dolly it started when we acquired our first robot, um, and uh, the robot landed in this studio. This studio was populated by people that had absolutely nothing to do with robots and had not the first clue about how to put them to work. Yeah, um, what,
0: what was the studio at the time? What, what what was it doing?
2: It was a creative studio. It's it uh, it is it is creative in its DNA. It's always mm-hmm. been a, um, a, a place for artists and designers and where these magnificent productions have come to life. But it's also been a place for technology innovation. And even before robotics, um, there's just a deep thread of sort of maker-oriented, creative coding-oriented type of work that pushes technology to you know see it come to life in mm-hmm. experiences. I think the, the idea behind bringing a robot into the studio Really was really was, was super simple. It was just um, it was automation and camera control, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, hey, if we could put a camera on the end of one of those arms, we could do amazing things. We could get amazing shots. We could. Um, at the beginning, it was completely impossible to work with. I mean, we eventually we hu- hugely invested in building tools to enable artists to work with these machines. But um, you know, at the beginning, we were having to turn ourselves into roboticists and write in, um, you know, like, gosh, like it was writing in C, if we were lucky. Um, (laughs) We were lucky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Hardcore engineering uh, was (laughs) what was required, so we had to turn ourselves into that in order to make a camera move in really, really simple ways. Uh Um, The tools to be able to sort of flexibly use Use these machines, um, uh, experiment with them, prototype easily with them, and what I would say is super important sort of play with the nuance they're capable of. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I say nuance, um, it's it's really, I think, expected to see an industrial arm operating in a, uh, an automotive factory and watching it move like what you expect a machine to move, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally unexpected to see that same machine moving in a super elegant way that has the sophistication of something that seems very much alive. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it's like tapping into uh, the ability to you know, program and control the robot uh, at that level, but also um, that doesn't happen in code, right? Mm-hmm. That happens uh, really in a visual space where you can understand um, where you can understand uh, the visual pattern of movement. And so we built those tools to visualize. We integrated um, we integrated robot programming with uh, the Maya environment. So, you know, from our standpoint, that means that millions of people that knew how to work in Maya knew mm-hmm. how to work with robots. Any uh,
0: production designer can just, specify a, a beautiful curve, a beautiful shape, or something and execute it on a robot?
2: Yeah, and, and physically move a, um, a, a robot in a virtual environment. So you know, grabbing a hold of the robot and moving it inside of a CAD environment is a totally different mm-hmm. thing than entering in some um, some new waypoints on a trajectory or, or you know entering in a sequence for path planning.
0: So, mm-hmm. so to go back a sec to, to where you said your first robot arrived at the studio what's it like when an when an industrial robot is dropped off at your at your front door what yeah, what's involved It's like walk us walk us through this what
1: what do you encounter <coughs> when when like a, you know industrial of, robot shows up
2: a lot of ooing and aahing, right like walking around um, <laughs> i mean at this point they they're,
1: they're coming in a crate like a wooden crate
2: uh it did, it did come crated yeah um at, at this point the um the the whole area around the studio is kind of littered with robots, some you know new <laughs> and, and uh, shiny, and some just like really old and gritty. Uh-huh. So they're kind of n- normal at this point. Um, uh, back then, um, it was just exciting. You know, everyone was looking at it as this incredible new, yeah. um, I'd say, new paintbrush, right? Because yeah, it's yeah. It, again, it's a creative studio, and then it's like getting to the point where you can pick up the paintbrush and make a mark on the
0: wall was uh, that was months. <laughs> so. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 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 I mean, what are the capabilities of, of an industrial robot before a, um, a group like yours gets to it? I mean, before you start to apply these layers that make it easier and more accessible, you take it out of the box and it has like a Windows 98 machine with some sort of ancient industrial controller on it or...? or-
2: uh, well, I wasn't on the ground in the studio, um, to see what actually, uh, just, just sort of see what, what was up on screen the first time, but what, what they had to do effectively was open up the robot and start hacking into the low level driver system. Hmm. Um, and that meant, um, well, we, there was no manual, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's sort of like you're, you know, you, you your car doesn't come with a manual for working with the electronics deep inside the system, yeah. right? Um, so they had to hack their way in, and uh, that was a lot, of, a lot of trial and error. And everything was going on the, um, you know, the command prompt. It was mm-hmm. um, wow, what language is this speaking? Because we didn't even <laughs> yeah. know, and, and it's not as if you can just Google that either. It uh-huh, was, uh-huh. Um, uh, it, it took a lot of trial and error uh, eventually just finding things that worked i'm um, sort of discovering uh, discovering the way through what would you know i guess what would be known, what would be thought of as the api but there mm-hmm. it's not it wasn't designed as an interface i'd say and
0: sorting out what works so you had to uh, did you have any roboticists on staff at the time or these are like i mean what what i'm getting at is like you know how how easy is it uh, for anyone with like a general technical background an understanding of software maybe of of some mechanics, but not necessarily an understanding of, of robotics to start working with this stuff? Has it been abstracted to the point where people can work with it? But you guys did a lot of low-level stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, we did. Um, but I think that was years ago. And, um, and part of what you know, part of what we built as a result of that were tools to enable ourselves to work with these these things, and uh, and then people all around us got their hands on the same tools, and we were super happy to see them using using them. Um, it's not like that today. Um, I mean, if you could find a uh, an old robot and had to hack your way into the system, you'd have the same experience that that uh, that our team did. But if you were, uh, you know, you could order a Kuka arm today. Um, uh-huh. Even the Kuka arm, uh, the software. That comes with a with a or, or uh, lots of other robots in the market, you know, significantly less mature than the kinds of tools that we have. But they have tools that are mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. you know they're they're. They're coming out of what I think of as the, of the dark ages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they, you know, even in the uh, professional applications for robotics, there are lots and lots of people that, um, you know, for whom it's not making sense to have to, um, you know, hire in a a, a a robotics expert in order to program a particular movement, and then having to have them back in to, um, you know, adjust that. Like this yeah. doesn't work. So mm-hmm. um, the industry recognized the need for the tools. We were there well, well ahead. I think of anyone else. Um, we were there for the creatives, but I think that the industry took a lot of cues from that, and yeah. that's exciting. It means that you know somebody in a maybe in a wood shop that wanted to use a, a robot, um, uh, you know, they have a good chance at it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's still a pretty rough go, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd say, but it's uh, it's nowhere near the the threshold that it was.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Is there like a from from sort of an inside the industry perspective? Are there sort of differences in spirit or philosophy or personality between you know Kuka robot and an ABB robot and a Fanuc robot? Or-
2: um, you know I can't well I can't speak to that all that well. Um, I mean I'd say um, my impression is that there are some camps, um, mm-hmm. but I you know I can't um, uh, I don't I don't know the I can't say I know the ABB tribe well enough. Yeah. Or the, <laughs> uh, um, I think you know I think kind of jumping back to your last question, there were no roboticists in the studio at the beginning. Uh, I think what was really exciting was seeing the um, uh, the robotics world start to pay attention to what Batandali was doing, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, robotin- Batandali becoming a part of the conversation with the serious robotics world. Which you know, at the beginning, that wasn't the expectation or the intent. It was just like we wanted to make things, mm-hmm. and and then to be you know chatting with the folks that were engineering them, and you know having inspired conversations with them because they were excited by what we were doing was was great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how about how about on the on the other side too? So the robotics community is starting to pay attention to what you're doing. What was it like to try to start to bring this stuff into the um, you know the filmmaking industry and um, saying you can use robots for this artistic purpose? Where people were where people like blasphemy? Will it'll never happen? Or were they just immediately transfixed? The the industry
2: itself was super interested, clearly in in what we did with Gravity. Um, I think that it was uh, that and, film. And what what did you do with Gravity? Well, for the listeners. Um, gravity, uh, the right way to think about what we did with gravity is, uh, is enable the making of a film that seemed like it was taking place in an environment without any gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way we did that was by uh, putting the robots to work to effectively move the world around the actor. Um so if you think of an an astronaut in space and they're floating around and there's no gravity and this is lots of fun and you hold a camera still mm-hmm. and they look like they're floating, uh-huh. um, so the opposite approach is what we brought to gravity and we you know ran early experiments with it and then ended up putting it into you know big production is. Freeze the actor or keep them in place, um, and then actuate everything around them, but including the camera as well. So that, um, mm-hmm. in effect, uh, as the as the viewer of the film, um, you are seeing through the eye of the camera, and the camera is, is moving as if it is in a gravity free environment, um, and it and it feels very normal and very natural and very fluid um, mm-hmm. because that's what robotics can do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm and trying to achieve that same thing in more conventional ways uh, you know first of all hanging actors on wires um, uh, it gets messy but also it's really complicated and you don't have nearly the kind of freedom mm-hmm. to to it's complicated to rig up a particular move um, whereas with with the robotics you know we're able to work with them in much more of a sort of live scenario yeah, um, yeah, put the yeah. power into the cinematographer's hands and, right. uh, and let them use it as if it was a tool um, what we get is a film that feels like you're in space, uh, and I think that caught the attention of the industry not just because it couldn't have been achieved any other way, yeah, um, yeah. but also because you know creative minds instantly went to work with you know ideating around what else could be done.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think there there are lots of other interesting applications. And yeah. it was I think super well received by the by the industry. Lots and lots of interest. Camera control on a whole new level much more about making the camera and its movements a role in the film which goes well beyond mm. you know robotics and and into the sort of the nature of the story and how it's told um yeah. and that's what should happen when new technologies converge with old forms of storytelling
0: yeah one of the really striking things um you know in the in the opening of uh, of your short film box uh, which we'll link to in the blog post around this podcast is is that you say everything was captured in camera and that's what you're saying about gravity right that that rather than sort of compiling um uh you know these scenes set in zero gravity in post-production and and forcing the the actor and the cinematographer to sort of guess at how it'll all come together you're actually capturing that in camera
2: well, um, the pr- so the production of gravity was a was a combination of in camera and uh, and post production. So um, there was a lot of CG, but the actual actors themselves, um, you know, the, the vast vast majority of the live action footage mm-hmm. is in camera, um, mm-hmm. and that um, you know, while the, the entire world around the actor may have been um, CG, the the actor themselves, um, you know, that's that's what brings the whole image to life.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's your uh what are some shots from i mean well not just gravity but just in general like i mean what are some of your favorite shots from like a technical standpoint that you know obviously if you've done your job right then then the audience probably won't have noticed but like what's something that's you know maybe challenging or something that you were able to do that wouldn't have been able to do with traditional things or just one that you had a really good time with
2: uh, well, my, I instantly go to box. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, gravity is super interesting. Um, box to me, uh, it, you know, what was achieved there and the, the, um, how memorable the, uh, the, the work is to sort of distort mm-hmm. what we think of as reality. Uh, I think that's like, to me, that's, it's much more sort of mind bending and eye opening about yeah. what's possible. Um, in, in those cases, you know, I think, the way the, that whole short film is positioned is, you know, as, as a magic trick, but magic in a really deep sense. Like, yep. it is, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a, a world that we know in physics that we understand, and then all of a sudden we don't. And I think, to your point about in-camera, that's super, super important. Well, it took
1: me a while to figure out that the handheld camera was robot-held, and that's how you calibrated everything else. Which I guess is what you were trying to sell by making that video. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
2: I, I have to say, like, yeah, if we were looking at it through a business lens, we weren't trying to sell anything. Yeah. We, were yeah, just, no. we were just making things we were really yeah. passionate about. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it, yeah, but I mean, like, that's, that's good, though, that you just did the thing you wanted to do and, like, were able to, make something incredibly compelling that has a lot of wide use cases.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that's, that is that you is know, super inspiring to me about that is the idea of full understanding and knowledge of, of everything in the world that's moving um, and to be able to put the precision of that knowledge to work, to put things, whether it's a robot or whether it's the projection of an image, um, precisely where you need it at precisely the right point. And then also to coordinate, to your point, um, you know, the eye of the camera and, and also the um, Um, the subject of the image itself um now i have two things that i can work with in concert whereas Mm -hmm. you know before the connection between those two things is super important Mm -hmm. but it's not the same thing and uh, and in box it becomes the same thing
1: Mm -hmm.
2: memorable shots from box um i mean there there are so many what i always love is watching the expression on people's faces when uh when the floor opens up, yeah, um, yeah, yeah that's yeah. one of my favorite ones, yeah, because it's so because it's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, you're you're by that time you're tuned in and sort of adjusted to the idea that impossible things are happening on these uh, on these surfaces, and um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, but what about the rest of the world? And, yeah. and that also is our palette or our, right. our, yeah, our right. canvas rather, uh, right,
0: right, right. Well, I think you, you also toy toy with the viewer magnificently in that in that piece and. There's a lot of, like, um, okay, here are a few shots that sort of establish things, and then you become comfortable, and whoa, you know, um, suddenly something is extending in a way that you don't expect or sort of popping into relief in a way that you don't expect. Yeah,
2: I think that that was exactly, uh, that, that was exactly the point. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: but it's nice, though, because, I mean, like, my friend, I have, I have a lot of friends who do stuff with, like, projection mapping and robots and stuff and so like i'm familiar with all the concepts and like all my friends were like oh goodness you have to check out this sweet new thing with like projection mapping and robotic controlled cameras and stuff and i watched it and i knew that like all that stuff MIT is possible it's possible but like just the way that it was put together like the artistic element that was added on top of it it's like I knew I was being tricked but also I just didn't care and I just didn't care to think about like trying to analyze how it worked it just like somehow just like felt really good to watch and it did feel magical even though you know it's a technical thing like I mean it-
2: yeah actually I mean I love that point I think the um, it's magic to me to watch um, watch people become true artists in their use of technology and then for the uh, the audience to see the technology fade away is significant in terms of mm-hmm. what they're experiencing I mean I think that that's you know, like, we can think about everything or lots of things at the very least that we use as artistic me, uh, mediums that you know, that are technologies at their basic level, I mean, pigments and, and how uh, you know, how we work with pigments and how we chemically build mm-hmm. them. So I mean, this is this, uh, technology, and it's not what we think about when we uh, you are looking at a painting. No, it's not. Yeah. And that's, that's important. And when I think about watching Box play out in person, you know, you're you lose track of the fact that there's uh, just a huge boatload of technology at work and you're just mm-hmm. overwhelmed by the fact that the world is moving that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what it should be about. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, even with that having been said, it's super interesting as an artist to work back and forth and actually to remind the viewer it's Mm -hmm. like yeah i see you like the the point here was to immerse you in this experience and to uh to to you know let's say focus your your mind on some ideas and i'm going to pull back for a minute and i'm going to uh i'm going to highlight again um that there are things at work here that that are possible because of the uh, because of these machines and because of this control right Uh, right i think that becomes a place creatively to really think about and explore what technology means to us and how it is changing and crafting our sense of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that is a super interesting and important question. I think, you know, if you're if you're in the uh, singularity kind of camp, then there is this sort of trajectory that we, we are on and we've been on for a very long time, and so it's not the beginning or the end of it. Um, and that means that technology has a role in how we are, um, you know, how what values we're working with in terms of appreciating mm-hmm. beauty, mm-hmm. appreciating aesthetics, appreciating things that we think of as being very human. Um, but they're in the context context of technology yeah and to push that thinking and uh and actually to question that now uh i think is really relevant because you know i i think that it is massively accelerating and the rate at which we will experience changes is um uh it is different year over year Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and very very significant breakthroughs in terms of how we perceive art as humans and things that shifted massively. Let's say, for example, with the arrival of perspective, those kinds of shifts are also going to accelerate because our capabilities are accelerating and we should be using the medium to help us think about what that means and why.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, and there's also an element here of meditating on the, on the technology itself in the way that like a, you know, a Frank Stella, um, painting sort of meditates on the beauty of like a, a very brawny, um, you know, technical structure like the Brooklyn Bridge.
2: I, uh, I went uh, this past weekend to a show in New York, it's called the uh, the Triennial at the New Museum. And mm-hmm. the work in the show, um, some of it blew my mind, um, uh, some of it didn't, but, but had some interesting thoughts. In the lobby, uh, or in the in the ground floor exhibition space, there was um, a, a project uh, called I think it's called Bin Forty Eight, and uh, for sure I'm not going to remember this entire name. It's uh, a, there's a gentleman named Bruce. Um, I can't recall his last name at the moment, um, and he's. He's put together this project that is so super relevant to the conversation around robotics, the conversation around technology, around singularity, around you know human consciousness, and so on. it's um uh, if I have the story right and you know uh, I, you have to give me a little freedom because i I'm, I'm not claiming uh-huh, to. Uh-huh. Um, there's a uh, there's a bust um, and I, I think this story goes that um, the bust is loaded up with sort of the data and the memories of i. I believe his deceased wife, and uh, it responds to questions from the audience, and, and it's um and it's a super interesting dialogue, and he's there to facilitate it. And so we just I walked into this museum, and uh, I didn't know what was going on, and I didn't know what that hmm. what that piece was about. Turns out I probably should have. I'd really missed mm-hmm. something. But there's this huge group of people gathered around this robotic, um, you know, this, this this human bust that's um, that's a- sort of animatronic, and animated, and um and they're asking it questions. And what a fascinating scene too. To observe, right? Yeah. Um, you know, people asking questions like, you know, do you feel guilt, or people asking questions like, what was your childhood like? And to me, one of the thoughts that that sparked is this: this really amazing desire on the part of us to to actually, like, you know, look for and and almost really desire there to be an answer there. Like, you know, we we don't ask our computer what its childhood was like, but when we put that computer inside something that looks like it's alive, uh, we do, and and we and we understand we're connecting the dots. We know there's technology. And side, but we still want to ask the questions because I think some part of us wants it to be there or, um, or expects it to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the show, uh, the entire show, I think, was uh, framed around prompting questions about uh, the impact of technology as, as a context for how we're you know, culturally positioned to think about the value of art. Um, I think that the you know the next decade or two is going to take us into a super deep place on that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to. Uh, I love that. I love that the whole world paid attention to touring over this last year. Um, mm-hmm. That's amazing because I think some of the uh, some of the thinking that was put on the table by touring um, to help us make distinctions between robotics. Uh, or technology and uh, humans, or what's human and what's not, I think that it's changing massively right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, um, to some extent, something that is that is that that is going to have to be led in terms of the question um, by the artists, by people who will consider this from a, a very, very different angle than the engineer who is, who is you know, in the robot context, um, mm-hmm. working on joint-level control.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's definitely, like, this, this whole point that we keep coming back to, or at least that we keep seeing, um, is like when you when you make this these new classes of tools available to much wider audiences or people who might not even be in sure of their existence, much less to have it designed for them, you start to see these really interesting things happening, right? You know, like, I mean, 3D printers were industrial machine shop tools for like 30 years, like they've been around, it's not a new technology. But like recently, people are very excited about it because it's become low cost enough, that just a wide variety of people, like non-engineer type people, finally have accessibility to do it and are, and are using it to do amazing things. And I feel like we're starting to get to that same point with robots as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing about 3D printers is, uh, and, and I think that we're really early with this, is form is not something that we generally have a really, really easy time sort of just imagining and then realizing mm-hmm. Um, yeah and i'd say that's still pretty true even in super accessible can you know consumer level 3d printer land because the tools are still are still pretty challenging Mm -hmm. um you know anywhere you cut it it's still difficult to work on a 2d screen and build a 3d object um it's just and i'm super excited to see some breakthroughs there mm-hmm. i think that's going to be hugely impactful on uh on on those kinds of pipelines um and i think it's going to really amplify what you just said um that mm-hmm. that the the uh the impact of 3d printers the as a technology um on the, Let's just say the uh, the creative freedom of the world to, you know, build and express in different forms, physical, you know, mm-hmm. uh, real objects, I think that's going to... Change a lot when somehow whether this is you know something we experience through um, uh, virtual reality tools, which you know that might be the magic trick—the um, ability to see 3D forms in front of us and manipulate them with our hands uh, as if they're real objects when they're not real objects yet. You know, maybe that will give us a sense of being uh, of it being just as simple. To craft volumetric geometry, as it is to pick up a paintbrush and paint on a canvas, like that. When we when we reach that point, and and I think that the VR experiences will take us there. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to connect to the three D printing dot um, uh, super powerfully. Yeah, then. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: just a fuller understanding of sort of the physical world, and and, and also and being able blend. to more fluidly go back and forth between the two, because there's some processes which are like way easier in real life, like. I don't know. You want to make a poster for your rock band, and you like cut up a magazine and tape it onto a piece of paper and photocopy it, right? If you want to make a poster for your rock band in Adobe Illustrator, like, and you've never done that before, you have to spend a week doing that, right? But like, obviously, there are some processes which are much simpler in the digital world than they are in the physical world, and so like, as we kind of make things more fluid, and you can move back and forth, you can solve problems in the domain-specific. This is why
0: kids don't make zines anymore. Yeah
1: yeah yeah um i mean i think so uh, two thoughts
2: on that um first of all um i immediately want to find a photocopier and start taping on some yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> magazine clippings and, and because it feels like it's been 20 years and yeah. oh my god well how did i forget that that's so much fun but you're totally right um uh it's it is if you're if you're a newcomer to illustrator um wow it's still super hard and How many installments have we seen in, you know, in these decades of people um, putting lots and lots of work into accessible tools to be able to make things quickly and easily and you know, create, use two dimensional digital space as a creative medium. I think that it's, you know, it's just chugging along. Um, we still are using Illustrator for great reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a super powerful tool. It's super, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's really hard to, to, um, uh, it takes a lot of work to be able to use it well. And, um, you know, that it's, I, I feel like there are, there are there are interesting thoughts that are closing that gap. Um, I love uh, the work that is going on at a company called Fifty Three in New York. Um, the paper guys. Yeah, that yeah. you know what what they're doing. It, it's. Um, to me it it sort of fits perfectly the idea that you know you've got a really powerful idea when it's so simple it's hard to explain why it's meaningful because it feels so obvious and it's just beautiful the execution now i can pick up a pencil and i can draw on a screen and it feels like i'm drawing on paper except it's more powerful and it's better Mm -hmm. and that takes us right back to the robotic space where you know there i was talking about it being interesting to have the tools to build nuance that were that we think of as you know more human in its expression and uh Getting into that space, having accessible tools there, and then being able to use the capabilities that are more than human. And by that, I mean uh, more precise or more repeatable or faster or like these, Mm -hmm. these things are, you you can't take that step until you can, you know, first get to the place where you can use a pencil on paper. And then you're like, Mm -hmm. wow, I can, I can use a pencil on paper and I can draw a perfect circle. Uh-huh. that's yeah. incredible yeah it's just absolutely amazing um i mean i tried for 10 years to draw perfect circles yeah yeah, yeah throw away a lot of paper it's
0: facilitated yeah. humanity it's like a regular existence facilitated in little ways by a computer
2: yeah and they'll beg questions about you know we, we all over the landscape we're seeing these uh, nice like like fairly small ideas about adding to what humans are capable of and there's just there is just a you know a, a new superhuman story every single day in terms of an app that lets you do this or or um, a new hardware device that lets you do this or you know the freakier side of that where you're you're reading about you know people that have implants of magnets in their fingertips and things mm-hmm. like that yeah. like, there's a lot of experimentation um and i think um you know i think that's really interesting um also but, you know, back to the point you were making, uh, when you get a hold of those tools in the creative space, when you do things that are unexpected to the people who uh, designed and created the technologies and then seeing that, um, uh, connect back and inform where the technology goes yeah. next like that's super important mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's super relevant uh and super easy to connect to the robotics space today you know what robotics need to be tomorrow uh is going to any way any way you want to look at it um be partially informed by some of the unexpected things people are doing with them now and only because they have the tools and accessibility
0: so to go back to that robot, the roboticist you were mentioning earlier, who's like the hardcore engineer working on the equations underneath this, you, you've pointed out that the sort of um, creative side, the artistic side got really into what you were doing. Um, what did you hear from the, from the, you know, traditional robotic side?
2: lots of interest you know i think general excitement is an easy way to put it right you know uh because (laughs) excitement
1: comma general yeah (laughs) yeah
2: i mean i think that um i think it's more meaningful than it sounds because if you're working away in a space that you're deeply passionate about but you know by and large the world doesn't connect with as something Mm -hmm. that they find all that interesting Mm -hmm. and then something (laughs) happens and someone does something with what you you know with what you've been making and it's exciting Mm-hmm. And, and it, it also, I think, really motivates you to want to make what you're doing more powerful, invest more in it. Because um, I don't know a lot of roboticists whose deep-rooted passion is in making a better, faster world on an automotive line. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, I, I'd say I'm super fortunate to know a lot of roboticists who have deep passions about, you know, where this is going to take us, mm-hmm. what's going to be possible. And that's, you know, that, that, but the time had to be invested. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are really simple problems. They, they have to be they have to be worked on for years and years and years because they're really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and And then I love seeing artists working with a medium and being able to acknowledge and have lots of respect for the engineering that, that made that possible, and then vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The engineers having great respect and enthusiasm for what the artist is able to do with the with the technology, and yeah. then and then working in a place that um, you know from a DNA standpoint, fundamentally, like, those people are twisted together into the same person. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they're mm-hmm. just the people that are thinking and stretching uh, the ideas of what's possible with robotics and how to execute that, and also you know just fluidly uh, moving into the creative space at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then that's that's great. Uh, that's the that's the kind of place that I like yeah. to. Uh, like to be
0: so it's a vindication for the work of a lot of these people uh, to see something see something so beautiful and so attractive to the general
2: public yeah uh and and also i'd say it it allows somebody who might not think of themselves as a as a, as an artist uh, because maybe they've been an engineer their whole life to see something that that they can add to mm-hmm. because If I was a, uh, I'd say, a hardcore robotics engineer, which I'm definitely not, and I'm watching something like Box, um, there are things kicking over in my head like, oh, well, this would be possible too. And, uh, oh, this thing that I'm working on or this idea that I had, like this would add to that experience. And then all of a sudden I've I've not just, you know, taken the artist out
0: into technology land, but also the engineer out into Mm -hmm. artist land. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, the robotics uh, profession is converging in any way with the sort of uh, the disciplines around it? From you know electronics and software in particular, we see these um, these two areas converging. Generally, in the kind of stuff that we look at at solid, you know, a lot of people moving from software to electronics and hardware and stuff like that, and a lot of people who work on electronics and hardware are seeing software as this source of value, source of intelligence, way to sort of activate a lot of what they're doing. But sometimes I feel like the the robotics community is a separate is a separate community in some ways. Do you see that or?
2: Well um I mean I would I would say the robotics community um from my perspective uh it's it you know it's in a, an interesting state of change I think um to to answer the question in a little bit of a roundabout way um i think the the hardware world and the accessibility of creating new hardware devices is uh, amazing and exciting the fact that they're so deeply integrated with software experiences and I, I don't just mean you know um you need a little level driver in in a you know in any actuated device to make it work i mean that you know If we have a vacuum cleaner, uh, we need to be thinking in terms of the application that we would use as a consumer. So we're tying these things together, and it means that there's not an isolated problem space. So I don't get to think about a watch without um, uh, how the watch functions in the you know broader context of the mm-hmm. internet. I think the robotics world is in a state of change because it's being propelled very quickly through the process of connectivity. And it's having to, to some extent, rethink what it is to build a robot. The state of change is uh, it is uh dramatic because because the industry is old because people have been working on and solving these problems and building these machines for uh, decades mm-hmm. and decades mm-hmm. and decades and and they're still the experts mm-hmm. and so the need to connect it in to sort of the entire software way of thinking um it's different it's different. It forces you to think about what products are differently, forces you to think about what they're capable of, why they matter, um, what they can do in the world. And also to think outside of the actual machine itself as sort of the core value of what you're building Mm -hmm. is it is a, you know, that's, that's super powerful. Um, That's, I think, part of why solid exists. Um, And I think, uh, and I think in the robotics space, it's particularly disruptive and transformative.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all about the whole the whole fabric of how everything fits together. I mean, one thing that, that 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 I really like about all this stuff is I really like technologies that take something that we as people would be doing anyway and let us do it better instead of trying to replace them, right? Like you were talking about paper, like Paper's by 53 is like a really really nice app for drawing because it's centered around the experience of drawing and like it it feels like you're drawing but like it gives you those like extra tools like you were saying that makes you feel like you're better at drawing. It's not like a completely different CAD software that you have to learn in order to construct things. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to draw, but this lets me draw better. You know, this is like, oh, I want to do art. Oh, wow, robots can be co-opted to let me do art better. It's not like It's not like a completely new thing that you're replacing a facet of the human experience. It's like you're augmenting it.
2: Yeah, and I think that it's also really fun to think about how we'll see a combination. Um, there will be new things, and there will be things that we're just better at to see our memory eventually feel um, just super natural to us as humans, as as photographic, because it just will operate that way. Because somehow there will be an ability to capture and have in a perfect record of, of every image that we ever saw. Mm-hmm. You know that will happen, and it will be a, a, a normal human perception that's been augmented by technology. And then, uh, and then, then there will be this other class of things that are um i don't know i don't think of being able to see in infrared as um augmenting my vision because i don't have infrared vision i didn't Mm -hmm. make it better i just gave Mm -hmm. myself a completely new way of seeing the world yeah yeah um so i think i think that i think that's going to be an exciting space um I think the uh, the ability to uh, do something as simple as draw a circle perfectly with paper and have it feel so you know so uh, connected with the world that we already really know well mm-hmm. is important. The connection is important. And when we think about, um, particularly in the robotics space, like all of these uh, incredible physical abilities um, that uh, can accomplish things in ways that we can't as humans. I can't move something precisely a millimeter Mm -hmm. and you know that's just sort of a a symbolic example because there are so many i will be able to do those things by by putting physical actuation to work and and i think you know some of that will feel like it's extending human capability and um and some of it will be doing things that we just didn't think of because we just didn't have that capability yeah and 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 again i think all of this hits the hits the industry and the whole technology space um, like a big storm because mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. Because it's uh, when you start seeing what can be done with robotics through the lens of, um, of what it means to have them not operating as a, a single entity necessarily but as, a, as something that's more effectively a part of a system, you, know, you have a, a whole different space to ideate a whole, a whole different rich fertile space to think about um, what, what you might want to do with them that leads to building different kinds of robots
0: probably uh, I'm thinking of of wrapping up, and that's a lovely place to end. But is yep, there anything else so. you wanted to to include?: I think the idea that
2: as a major force in defining culture and and our society, I think that what we from the again the technology perspective should be concerning ourselves with um, more than we are is the role for creativity in our narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And because it's been super important and powerful to the progression of science, which is is uh, you know the platform that we're working from, uh, as long as both have existed. And I don't know any time before that. So um, I'd say uh, we're we're going somewhere. We keep making installments year over year. We're making new things, and and uh, and the the pace at which we are able to do that is is accelerating. And so I think the the, the pressure that we should be putting on ourselves to not just showcase and celebrate a, a, an interesting artist doing an interesting or wacky thing with technology um, that might be super beautiful, but it's more of a gesture than it is actually um, topical to the rest of the content we're looking at. That shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. It should mm-hmm. feel like the, the the narrative that's being defined by what we're making is also about how we're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And the artistic expression It doesn't have to be precious, but it should feel like it's a, it's just an integrated part of that, because it is.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Tobias. This has been incredible. Yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. Always really good
1: conversations with you guys. <laughs> Likewise. For links and other information related to this episode... Visit radar.o'Reilly.com.
0: If you liked this conversation, you'd certainly enjoy the Solid Conference. For more on the Solid Conference, visit solidcon.com. Until next time, I'm David Craner. And I'm John Bruner.